Good morning. How is everyone doing today? I sat down at a table this morning during uh, donuts and coffee, and the first thing this person says to me at the table is, you are too much for me in the morning. And I, and I said, I said, I may have heard that before, but that's okay. I'm all right with being that way. So uh, I just want to jump right in today. We've got a lot to cover. So if you were with us last week, we started a series called Uncomfortable. Um, did I make any of you feel uncomfortable last week? Did I make any of you angry last week? No? Rats. I'm kidding. Okay. So um, as I said last week and as we'll continue this week, um, this whole series kind of makes me a little nervous because there's a lot to it. And because... Um, it requires that we get, be willing to get pushed a little bit, including me. I was pushed this week several times. I was telling Keith earlier that I felt like I got punched in the gut a couple times as I was studying and preparing for this. And the sad part is I know when I get punched in the gut, that means that God's got something to say um, because he's convicting me first. And so uh, what I want to get into is first I want to talk about what we covered last week. We talked about uh, the notion of uncomfortable comfort, the idea that comfort and comfortable, although they sound like similar words, are not the same thing. We kind of went through Scripture. We talked about 1 Corinthians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We kind of together defined what comfort is, right? We kind of understood together what the comfort of God really is, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it is to experience it when it shows up, when we need it the most, right? And we kind of came to the realization that God provides comfort in affliction, not protection from affliction. Because if he protects us from all of our possible afflictions, then he is making us very comfortable. And that is not always his goal. We discussed the human problem, and we, I quoted a professor of mine, uh, the human problem of us being living sacrifices unto God and, and knowing that we are going to deal with challenges and difficulties. And the problem is that living sacrifices are always trying to crawl off the altar. We discussed that because it's true. And then I went through eight signs your Christianity is too comfortable those were the places where I noticed most people probably felt like they got poked, including me. And then we asked a question, is God okay with his people being comfortable? And the answer is yes. He wants us to be comfortable with one thing, and that is following his lead, wherever that may take us, which often stands in contrast to our personal desire to be comfortable it's almost like we want him to go where we want us, where we want to go, rather than the other way around. And so this week we're going to talk about uh, uncomfortable holiness. Uncomfortable holiness. The root of that word holy, if you use that word holy to describe something, what do people think of? If you're in a conversation with somebody at work or your office and you say the word holy, what do they think of? Do you think? Huh? Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Do you know what I think of? Cows. Because I say holy cow all the time. <laughs> Come on. Do you not think of cows when somebody says the word holy? Do you not complete the sentence with cow or is that just me? 
Just me, apparently. Okay, rock on. I'm good with that. Do you know what else I think of? I think of the church lady. Do you, are you, any of you children of the 80s? Okay. Do you know who the church lady is? Yes? Kind of this satirical character for Saturday Night Live created by Dana Carvey where he, he's always saying, well, isn't that special? Right? And Satan, right? It's kind of this holier-than-thou, holy roller kind of, kind of thing. And before I came to know the Lord, that would have been the natural place I would have gone, right? I think if you have conversations with people about that word holy, um, it's taken up a negative term, a negative connotation in so many ways. Uh, we, we consider the phrase holier than thou. How do you feel about that phrase? What does that, what does that communicate to you? It's a negative, right? It communicates this kind of idea that somebody thinks they're better than everyone else. And that's just not true. I, I think we get smacked in the face with it as, as believers anytime someone who unfortunately stands in, in the position I'm in, who pronounces all of these things that are holy and all the things that God calls us to do, and then we find out they've been doing things that are completely in the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing, right? They're railing against, against porn and, and sexual trafficking, and then we find out they're doing all kinds of things they should not have been doing that fly in the face of that. Because holy is supposed to mean what? Set apart. Set apart for what purpose? God's purpose, right? The idea behind holy is that we are set apart. This call, this call is to be different. It's a contrasting call. It's, it's different than, than any other call in our lives. It's designed to say that if you are holy, you are set apart, you are different, you are not like everyone else around you. And it really kind of becomes a problem, this hypocrisy problem, is, is pronouncing this, the holiness of God, the idea that we are called to be holy and because he is holy, right, which we'll get into in a second, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. You will see that phrase come up in Leviticus and again here in the, in the text we're going to cover in a little bit in Peter. But, but this hypocrisy of pronouncing the holiness of God and then not pursuing the holiness of God is arguably what angered Jesus the most about God's people. If we, I'm gonna, we're gonna take a sidetrack, we're gonna go in and watch and see how Jesus handles people who are not truly pursuing the holiness of God or just talking about the holiness of God. And then we're gonna look at, we're gonna look at that in Matthew 23. It's called the seven woes. These are words that I, I think we need to remember. It's easy for us to say, yeah, he was speaking to the Pharisees. Okay? Just, it, yes, we are not Pharisees. That is true. But the Pharisees very much represented to the world the people of God. Okay? And so when he's speaking to the Pharisees, I think, I think Matthew has so much to say to the modern church because we are the people of God and have been functioning as the people of God now for 2,000 years. And we are remiss if we don't think we might have some of the same problems that the Pharisees had. 
So what are the seven woes? He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. There's that hypocrisy word. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And if, if you, you, for you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. What does that mean? So they, tell, they tell people, you're not good enough to be in heaven. You can't get in here. But the whole time, they're not pursuing God themselves. They're not in the kingdom of heaven. They're talking about people not being addicted to porn, and yet they are themselves. They talk about having a, a, a monogamous, viable, powerful marriage con- or connection to their, their spouse, and yet they're cheating on them. And they're saying to these people, you can't get in if you don't act like God wants you to. And all the while, behind closed doors, they're doing everything that they're yelling at other people for doing. The next one is, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He loves that phrase, doesn't he? You travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a child of hell as you are. Ouch. Strong words. What do you think that means? You lead them astray. You say you want to bring people unto the Lord, and that's great. And finally, somebody comes to know the Lord, and instead of teaching them about him, you start teaching them about the things that you like or you want or, or you have experienced that may or may not be of God. You drag them down the same path you are on. That's a problem. In fact, it says they're as much, twice as much a child, a child of hell as you are. Yikes. It's phrases like that that kept me from being a pastor for a very long time. I did not want that on my conscience, right? Next one. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing, but whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Yikes. Keep going. Next one. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint and dill and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. relegates their faith to, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my part, I'm paying my bills, I'm, I'm, I'm tithing my tenth, I'm showing up for church every Sunday, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, my membership is active, but I'm neglecting what it means to be the people of God in the world. Keep going. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You are like the whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones. Oh, you went too fast. (laughs) Full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. How often do we try to make ourselves look like we've got it all together and everything's good when in fact we're hurting and dying inside and we just don't want anybody else to see it? And remember, this is Jesus talking to God's people. And he starts every one of these with, woe, you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. Those are not nice words. Can we all agree on that? He's not being gentle. He's being very clear and very blunt. 
And finally, our last one, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part in the shedding of the prophet's blood. If I'd have been around when Moses was leading people across the desert, I would have never done that. Would you? He goes on after this to say, yeah, you kind of would have. This is your history. This is what it means to be human in some ways. You are no better than the people who came before you. Please do not convince yourself, yourself you are. What a way to start a sermon. And I'm only doing this because I want you to understand that this idea of knowing what the holiness of God is and expressing a desire to experience the holiness of God and yet not actually pursuing it, not actually moving toward him, not actually being willing to be set apart, to be transformed by him is a big problem for Jesus. It is a big problem. I had a friend in Minnesota, his name is Powell. And Powell is not a follower of Jesus Christ, but we sat and we talked for months about, we met up on a regular basis to talk about who Jesus was because his wife is a follower of Jesus Christ. And we met and we talked about who he, who he is and what he's about and why it matters. And, and Powell could not get over something. He could not get past the notion that the people of God were no better than anybody else. Now, I admit, following Christ isn't about being good or bad, okay? I really, as my wife would tell you often, is about humble or proud. It's about knowing that you cannot do it all yourself and you need, need the Lord to guide you because we are all broken, right? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a reality of life. But, but it does lead me to believe in, in Powell's case and in the world's case, if there's no discernible difference in who we are as holy people, as God's set-apart ones, then what does that do to our witness to the world? And the reality is it kind of negates it. It destroys it. It makes it impossible for us to be the people God has called us to be, his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world. And yet we wonder collectively as the body of Christ, as the church worldwide, we wonder why we have so little impact on the, on the world around us. And maybe part of it is, part of it's because it's fallen but part of it might be because we're not pursuing the holiness of the Lord as we should. Because that is a tall order. Uh, Brett McCracken in his book, Uncomfortable, says this. He says, Jesus is raising the bar because he wants his people to be noticeably different. A light in a dark world. It's a difference for the sake of the mission. It's a contrasting call. It's something that's very different than what it means to be called by the things of the world. It will, by definition, if we are pursuing it, change us. It will, by definition, set us apart. It will, by 
by definition, make us different if we're actually doing it. So let's look at this contrasting call. Our text today is 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, and it says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, right? With your minds ready for action, right out of the gate, what's your feeling on this? Doesn't mean sit back and wait, right? You're ready to go. Ready for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Pursuing holiness is uncomfortable. I'm not going to make that, I'm not going to try to tell you it's not. It is. It's uncomfortable because it requires several things. First is acknowledgement of sin. I don't know about you, but do you like to acknowledge your own sins? Holiness requires that we do so. It requires, so often, um, and I'm guilty of this too, where, you know, I'm not perfect. I know that. And I will say, I am so messed up. And yes, I am so messed up. Ask my kids. But I, I often neglect to say, I have so messed up. We're really good at deflecting our ownership of our own mistakes, our own failings. It's, I mean, and we come by it honestly, right? Adam started it in the Garden of Eden when he blamed the woman that, he blamed two people, the woman that God put with me, right? That you put with me. And then she did what? She blamed the snake that God put in the garden. See, we're really good at deflecting our own decisions and our own part in our fallenness. Why do you think that is? We're human. We have very, very, especially guys, sorry, we do. We have very, very fragile egos. We are very fragile. We do not like to acknowledge our own failings, our own difficulties, because that means maybe I'm not good enough. That means maybe I can't do it myself. That means maybe I'm at fault. Say again? Well, yeah, she she works with me every day. She knows. There's no maybe about it. You are at fault, Rob. See? No, 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 it's fine. It's all good. I know what you meant. I'm just saying. We, we are, the truth is, if you have found yourself in a horrible, horrible predicament, sometimes things happen and they're out of your control, but sometimes we have done it to ourselves. I say often that dramatic people are the ones who lead dramatic lives. If you've come across somebody, their their life is always a drama all the time. There's a common denominator there. And it's not everybody else. I've had people over the years say, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to change my job. And if I just move to a different state and start a new job and get away from everybody else, everything will be fine. Maybe. Maybe not. Because you might be taking the problem with you. 
in order for us to pursue the holiness of God, we have to first understand and acknowledge that we are sinners. We have, we have to acknowledge that we've played a bit of a part in our own demise, and that is really hard on our ego, and that makes us very uncomfortable. Because I don't know about you, but I can easily point out everybody else's sins in a heartbeat. Can you do that? Can you identify everybody else's sins and failings and difficulties? But we are not nearly as good as identifying it or admitting it of ourselves. That's uncomfortable, but necessary. It's also uncomfortable because it admits the necessity of repentance. That term repentance, sin and repentance are two words that makes everybody shudder, right? Nobody wants to hear those words. But the necessity of repentance. Repentance is what? It's an about face. It's saying, I've been going down the wrong path. I am turning away from that path and I am going down the right path. That's what it means. Yet we add so much more to that word, right? We make it sound like this guilt and shaming and just, you must repent or die. And, and yeah, you, you, you should repent, but that means you must change. You must change directions. And I don't know about you, but choosing to leave the path I'm comfortable with and going on a different one is a little uncomfortable. When God asked us to move from Indianapolis to Arkansas, I was a little uncomfortable. When he asked us to move from Arkansas to Minnesota, I was definitely uncomfortable and cold too. But can I just tell you, every time that I've actually allowed the Lord to send me where I needed to go, I have been so unbelievably blessed. but I had to get past the uncomfortable. The, second re- the third reason that holiness is uncomfortable is because it sets us apart. We don't like to be set apart. We like to blend. We like to blend in at work. We like to blend in at school. We like to blend in at church. We like to blend in. We like to not raise a ruckus. We like to not be different. We like to have people not be angry at us. Sometimes when someone is angry at us, they're angry at us for a good reason. We've we've sinned and done something stupid and they're angry at us. Sometimes people get angry because something we've said or done hits too close. If I'm honest, most of the time when I get angry, it's because something hit too close. It was too real for me. Did you know that? You can get angry for all the wrong reasons and not even realize it. The call to holiness is the call to recognize that though it's okay, the pursuit of holiness reminds us that it is okay to not be okay It's just not okay to stay that way. Does that make sense? Yes, we know we are sinners. Yes, we have fallen short. But yes, we also need to change 
Yes, we also need to grow. And yes, we also know that that will make us probably not the same as everybody else around us. Have you seen the way people handle those who are not like them? It's kind of built into our psyche. We've been doing it for thousands of years. We point at people of a different shade of color in their skin and say they're lesser. Why? Because they're not like us. It's a thing. It exists. We see people who make different life choices than we did that are taking them down a horrible road and we, we stay away from them. We avoid them. We look down on them because they are not like us. One of the hardest things I've ever seen a church have to wrestle with was a, we started a Hispanic ministry in a, in a predominantly Caucasian church. And they, at first they said, this is great. This is wonderful. This is awesome. We want people to be involved until that first Wednesday night when we were teaching English as a second language class. And all these single moms were coming and they had, they had to have babysitting for their kids. And the normal show up on a Wednesday night for kids was about 25 kids and we brought 50 more. Unchurched kids. Now, we're very blessed in that most of our children have grown up in church, but there's a very big difference between churched kids and unchurched kids. And it's not about being good or bad. It's about being different. It's a different set of expectations. And I have never seen a group of people lose their cookies. Because, you know, we brought in these kids and they were... They were wearing clothes that they should not have been wearing that no other church kid ever would have worn. They were saying things that no other church kid ever would have said. They were talking about events in their lives of watching their mom or their dad smoke pot or rob a grocery store, or be in jail, right? Or be deported. And parents would come back to us and say, that, that makes me uncomfortable. Probably. All because it was different. If Jesus was called out for being different because he was, then who are we to think we won't be called out for being different too if we're pursuing him? We must be willing to be set apart. We must be willing to handle the difficulties of people going, dude, you're weird, which by the way happens to me on the regular. Yeah, I know, I know you do, which is fine. I'm good with it. Sometimes I'm weird because not for holy reasons, I'm just weird. But if you're calling me weird because I'm pursuing God, honestly, I have no problem with that. None. Does it still make me uncomfortable? Yes but it's a discomfort I'm willing to live with for the sake of something greater, the mission of God. Pursuing holiness is also obedient. In verse 14, it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Be obedient to the call I've placed on your life, to what I'm calling you to, rather than leaning back on the things that happened before you became my child. How many of you have ever had disobedient children? 
Are they frustrating? Yeah? They drive you crazy? Yeah. Yeah. I know he does. It's okay. It's all right. Oh, I, I, I was just assuming she was, but that's okay. That's good. Disobedient children can be frustrating. Disobedient uh, people that you're supervising in a job can be frustrating. People who do not follow the rules or do what they need to do or just take care of things can be frustrating. But we really forget sometimes how disobedient we can be to the Lord and his call on our lives. Heather has a theory. Heather has a theory that we all have to sleep eight hours so that God can get a rest. So that a third of the world is asleep at any given time. He doesn't have to handle all of us at the same time. We're probably not listening. Pursuing the Lord, pursuing the holiness of God, to be set apart in him, to, be, to, to try to take on the qualities that he would ask from us, to, to follow the example of Jesus Christ requires obedience because he's calling us to something that is not naturally something we want to do. Again, because we're uncomfortable or because it might be dangerous or because it might just be difficult or because it might have to force me to look in the mirror and see my own sin or to change my direction. All of these things keep us from being obedient to the path that God has called us on. But pursuing holiness... That obedience is required if we ever really want to come to know the Lord for who he is and to be transformed as he hopes to do to us. Pursuing holiness reflects, also reflects the contrast of God to the world. Jeff Bridges says, the pursuit of holiness is to live a life characterized by the putting off of your old self and the putting on of the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If we are truly, truly focused on the mission of God, if we truly want to see the world come to know him and truly want to see them saved and truly believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we have to be willing to be that contrast to the world so that they can see that God is a contrast to the world. They can't, the truth is, if you have not yet known the Lord, yes, he may come to you. But the church is not plan B. The church is plan A. We are created to be his witnesses. We are created to be his people. We come together to strengthen one another. Yes, to do incredible things in his name, to go out. It's not just to hang out together and, and pay a membership fee. That's called a country club. I'm serious. We are brought together for a purpose. We are strengthened for a purpose. We are made holy for a purpose. We are transformed for a purpose. And that is the very mission that God has given us. And that should just excite the living daylights out of us. Because if our God is that good and if our God is that amazing, then why do we not want to show that to the entire world? And our call to be holy 
to step outside our former lives, to put away those things that drag us away from holiness is a critical part of that step. And it's a step we must embrace if we are ever to be the people of God. So let's get into some nitty-gritty. How do we how do we pursue holiness? Back to our scripture for the day, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Seek spiritual sobriety is my first step. We are all a work in progress. We conveniently forget we're a work in progress sometimes, but we are. We're all a work in progress. We have to remember to see, we have to work hard, though, to see ourselves clearly, to be sober-minded. It's a, it's a case of ocular planchitis that we all have. We do. We have a case of it. In Matthew, in Matthew 7, Jesus tells his people, or the Pharisees, again, back to the Pharisees again, says, hey, quit trying to pull a speck of dust out of everybody else's eye while you've got this big plank, this big piece of wood in your own eye, ocular planchitis. It's a great word, great phrase. Steal it, use it. I stole it from somebody else. It's awesome. Because we do. We have a tendency to be, again, very clear about everybody else's faults and not so clear about our own. We don't like to admit our own mistakes, our own failings, our own sins, our own weaknesses, our own discomfort. We don't like to. And learning to be spiritually sober is a lifelong process. You don't just decide to be, and suddenly you see yourself clearly. If you're really brave, you'll ask your best friend to honestly tell you what they think your failings are. How many of you are ready to do that right now? No hands? I can't imagine that. You don't want that, Gregory, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, spiritual sobriety is, is a willingness to say that I do not see myself clearly and that I need help doing it. But we have to seek that in order to begin to know where to get to work in pursuing the holiness of God. The next one is flee from unholiness. Flee from it. Habakkuk 1.13 says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. What he's saying is, you, you say you don't like evil things. You say you can't tolerate it around you. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why do you keep it around you anyways? I was telling the teens this morning um, that I, I, <laughs> I downloaded TikTok. Hold on. Now, I downloaded TikTok because I was told there were a couple of, of really good, and there are really good Christian TikTokers, okay? So when I first downloaded TikTok, 
I'm scrolling through the feed and I'm like, this was one of those life choices I wish I should just take back because that's just horrible, right? Because it is. Then I started following some Christian guys and girls. A guy who does 10-second sermons, which are really good, actually. And you know what I found out really quick about TikTok that I love? Is that my, my feed, which is that stuff they throw up for you to look at automatically, changed like that. I followed three Christians, four Christians, and all of a sudden my feed changed completely. It went from completely inappropriate and ridiculous things to Christian people really fast. This is a, this is a mental note for parents. Your teenagers are going to kill me. If you want to know what your kid is looking at on TikTok, pull their phone and look at their feed because it directly reflects what they are currently looking at because it changes that fast. But here's, here's the beautiful part. The beautiful part is if it's changed over, to the things of God, it will fill you with more of the things of God. Now, am I going to keep TikTok installed? Probably not. I ain't got time for that. And Brittany's like, aha! She was so happy that I installed it this morning. I may keep it. I do follow you, Gregory. Yeah, okay. So the point would be, and you're messing up my feed. I'm kidding. You're not messing up my feed. The point would be that so often we try to have it both ways. We try to have the Christian feed on our TikTok or our life and those little compartments of our life that are not part of that Christian feed. For some, it's drugs. For some, it's porn. For some... It's spending money on things you don't need to be spending money on. It's just this little thing over here that I'm doing, I'm buying, right? We are all at risk of having these little compartments of our lives that we like to keep close and say, God, just don't mess with this section. I'll give you everything else, but do not mess with this section. But the scriptures are pretty clear. Sin is not something you keep close and dip into it whenever you want. Because it will suck you in. Holiness requires recognizing that those things have no place in our lives. They don't need to be there. Because they're distracting you from God. And the more, the more credence you give them, the longer you keep them around, the more likely they are to bite you and consume you. It's usually things like that that people say, you're weird because you don't stare at social media all the time. You're weird because you're not freaking out over some news story about coronavirus. You're weird because... I'm weird because I choose not to let that garbage enter my thought life. I saw uh, a speech by a guy several, many years ago who talked about the importance of guarding your eye gate and your ear gate. Guard them because they are direct lines to your heart. Flee 
Flee from unholiness. Don't keep it around. Don't keep it in a tiny little box. Flee from it. Kick it to the curb because that's where it should be. Not in your house and not in your life. Finally, let God's holiness be enough because so often in our lives we do not treat the holiness of God as enough, enough to sustain us, enough to strengthen us, enough to transform us, enough to grow us, enough to give us life. We do not trust it to be that. We feel like it's got to be God and, okay? I see t-shirts and signs all the time that say, I need a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. And you know, I love coffee. I do. I do. But following Jesus, the holiness of God, means that the coffee is not something you need. I don't know what that is in your life. It might be coffee. It might be Jesus and what? Jesus and... Huh? Jesus and money? Hmm? Jesus and monster? You drink monster? Oh my God. Jesus and energy drinks, Jesus and money, Jesus and TikTok, Jesus and the perfect relationship. How many of us how many of us pine for that perfect relationship? I see our younger people pining for that perfect relationship that's going to make them whole, that's going to make them right, that's going to make everything okay. Guess what? It never will. The only relationship that will make you whole, that will make you right, that will transform you is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Period. End of discussion. <laughs> she took her mask down for that. <laughs> the, the, we're going to get Corona. Stop it. There's no. Please. If, if you want to begin to, to seek out the holiness of God, remind yourself that he is enough, that his grace is enough, that his salvation is enough, that his call upon your life is enough. It's enough of a reason to do what he's asking you to do. That demonstrates obedience. That demonstrates trust. That demonstrates a relationship that really matters, that will transform each of and every one of us and that he intends to use to transform the world. You cannot serve two masters. Either God and his holiness and his call upon your life is enough or it's not. It's not about Jesus and. It's about Jesus only. So I would, I would challenge us this week to remember several things. One, pursuing the holiness of God is a requirement. It is what we are called to do and honestly, where we are at our best. It is also uncomfortable for lots of reasons and it will never stop being uncomfortable because God is always calling you to something more than where you currently are. It's okay to be, not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And finally, holiness 
that being set apart is critical to our witness to the world. And we are hardly the church if we cannot be willing to be called, if we can be willing to be uncomfortable, if we can not be willing to be holy as God is calling us to be holy. Okay, I think I'm done. I think it's prayer time. I believe, I believe. So if, you, uh, if you're new to our services, we close every service with a time of prayer. And, and what we do is um, we take a look at prayers that have been listed on our, our app and also prayers that have been listed in the morning at church before church started. And so I want to take a minute to, if you've added anything to the prayer wall while we've been in service, it'll come up right here. And also we have a list today. So we have a strong list today. There are a lot of people in need today. So are you all ready? All right, so I need everybody to stand up. Why? Because it's less awkward for people who, who want to leave or to come out of the line and come up front and talk to somebody at the end of church. It's less awkward if everybody else is already standing up. It's really awkward if they're all sitting down and they have to say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, right? So this is about making us comfortable. I can't believe I said that. In moving forward or in, in doing what we need to do as God is calling us. So let's get into our prayers. Uh, we have a prayer for Pauline Westlake. Uh, as you know, she had hip surgery. Uh, she is currently back in the hospital because her hip popped out. So um, she's hoping to be... Huh? Okay, she's back home. She's going back to see the surgeon tomorrow to hopefully resolve that issue. It's unfortunate because she was really doing very, very well. Doing very, very well. Uh, Jan Smith continues to ask for prayers for Tim as he approaches his surgery in April. Um, I would ask for prayers for my wife, continued healing. She's back there today on her little wheelie thingy, my bobber. Um, but, but she continues to be in some pain and, and uh, obviously that weighs heavy on my heart. So please, please pray for my wife to continue to heal. Uh, Peg Smith has asked for prayers for Sean Wildermuth who had a stroke recently. He's about 51 years old, and his brother, Dean, um, is also suffering from shingles. Uh, Gary Hudson uh, has a swollen knee. He's possibly going to have a home visit. He's currently at Logan Acres, by the way, room 104, um, and he would be happy to see you. Uh, he did want me to tell you that he was doing well, that he felt blessed, that he was even alive that he felt blessed by the care he's been receiving and by those who are praying for him, and he wanted to thank you for that. He will probably be there for a few more weeks until he's able to come home, but he's hopefully going to come to a visit on Tuesday, kind of see if we can see what the house needs, so please pray for that. Uh, Tim and Marcia Tillman both were in the ICU this week. At the same time, they are both home but they are still feeling a little bit weak. So if you could pray for them or call them or go visit them. Uh, I talked to Tim a couple days ago. He said they were, they were doing fine and they were recovering, but, but they could still use our prayers as they continue to get, regain their strength. Holly would ask for prayers for the troops to come home and for Mike and Terry in Florida. Uh, I'd like to offer prayers for the Hartzler family today too as well. Um, as you know, Stan 
has been hospital was hospitalized recent, recently for a couple of days. He's now on oxygen all of the time. Um, and Kim is struggling with a, a bronchial cough. It's coming back. It's difficult for her. But I would also like to offer prayers for Diane, um, who is, is the primary caregiver for two people right now. And the primary caregiver for one is stressful enough, let alone two. She could use our prayers and our help and a hug um, and those who are willing to help her wherever possible. So I would like to please ask that we reach out to her this week, that we pray for her and her family this week. Shirley McPherson, Shirley S. McPherson, Shirley T. is obviously right there. Shirley S. is still in the hospital in Florida with uh, a heart rate issue and blood pressure problems and double pneumonia. Uh, her double pneumonia has pneumonia improved some, but it is far less than cured. Please pray for her and for Bob. I know it's very difficult to even be away from home, right, and, and to deal with these challenges. Kathy Vanskoy has asked for prayers today. She is not feeling well. She has a bug of some kind. Um, we'd ask for her to be healed. Dwight Skidmore uh, has hip replacement on Wednesday. So if you could off, spend some time on Wednesday, just a few minutes kind of praying for him, we would really love that for the doctor's hands to be guided and for his healing to go quickly and for him not to experience what Pauline is and have it pop back out. It's not the same doctor, is it? No, he says no. Okay. So uh, Carol Klein has some prayers. Uh, she's missed quite a bit lately. She missed on the first but she's, she's had some coughs and some headaches. And she's, so Tuesday she was getting better. She went to see the family doctor. Um, and it turns out she has three different things. She has acute non-recurrent maxillary sinusitis. And you should just be clappy, happy I said all that. Uh, bronchitis and another infection that are causing some major difficulties for her. So now we all know Carol, right? She's going to say, who's got it? God's got it under control. God will take care of it. And that is a blessing. That strength is amazing to me. Um, but please pray for her to heal, to continue to heal, to get stronger. She also has prayers. She has a CAT scan coming up. She would like for prayers for that and to continue to grow in her connection to God as, as and a child of God as her risen Savior, right? She would like to thank you for all the prayers in the Holy Spirit and remember that Easter is coming and he arose to save us. Please remember that and keep that in mind. She'd like to ask for prayers for Susie McFarland. She has surgery on March 12th for cancer in Columbus um, and will be in there four or five days. It's a stomach surgery. Uh, Chastity Klein Covington um, has plans coming up for hysterectomy this week. So we'd like you to pray for her as well. And yeah, I think that's all. Pastor Rob? Yes? I just want to say this morning that it's been nice to see Beth again. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. And the message was wonderful. And Thanks. And she sees it coming. It's very powerful when you do listen to the Spirit. And then Amen. 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 Absolutely. All right. Yes. 
Yeah? They are back home, and I'm happy to see them. Happy to all tan and stuff. Okay. 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 So Patty's son, Bill, has to have uh, chemo. Yeah? Chemo. Yep. Okay. He has a tumor on his spine that usually forms in the head. So pretty serious stuff. We know that's been an ongoing challenge for him. So. For a year? Oh, wow. All right. Let us go to the Lord in prayer as we end today's service. Thank you, God, for giving us an opportunity to worship together. Thank you for the chance to pursue you as one. Lord God, I pray that we will take seriously the call to be your people, to be set apart to pursue you and the holiness of God. Though we know it makes us uncomfortable, we also know that it, that discomfort is nothing compared to what you suffered for us. Help us to be a shining light in the darkness. Help us to be a witness to the world of your greatness of your love and your strength. And as Carol has said today, your power to do anything. You have heard the cries of our hearts. You've, you've heard those of us who are in pain and in need of prayer. And I pray today that you will, you will lift them up, that you will help them to see you and know you and recognize the hope that comes in you and that you will help us to be stewards of that hope for you to be those who, who go and visit, those who go and pray, those who do what we need to do to be a difference in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we are not plan B, we are plan A. We are your hands and feet in this world. Help us to live into that. Father God, I'm mindful today of those who are unable to make it, especially today of Shirley and Bob in Florida. Um, they've, they've been through a lot of trials with, their, with Shirley's health in particular and I pray that you will heal her and get them home safely please Father God we thank you for your strength we thank you for your mercy and for your grace and we thank you for the love and salvation of your son for it's in his name that we pray Amen Amen. Thank you.